God of the universe, how is it that we can call you Father? <laughs> You've created all things. There are more stars than we could possibly even hope to count. This universe is seemingly infinite. Lord God, even on this planet, there are more people than we could ever hope to wrap our minds around. And yet you've invited us to call you Father. Lord, you are a good, good Father. You care for us and are concerned for us. Lord, you are at work in this place and so we celebrate that. God, we ask that you would open up the heavens and let your fire rain down upon us. Fire that cleanses us and purifies us and gives us the warmth of your presence. We pray that your spirit would be among us and that he would speak to our hearts and minds. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be present in our midst. You said uh, that it was by grace through faith that we've been saved, not of works or of anything we've done, but that we were created in you to do good works that you've prepared beforehand for us to do. And you said that you are building us into a temple in which you dwell by your spirit. And so now, Lord Jesus, prove that you are right and show your presence among us, that you might be here today speaking through the words uh, that you have written thousands of years ago, but yet your voice is heard in the assembly today. Do this, God, because we've asked this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the news recently, Amazon Corporation has announced that they're looking for another location to build a second headquarters. I believe there's a group from Grand Rapids that has gotten together to try to woo Amazon to build their second headquarters here. Now imagine for a moment that they decide to do that. Imagine that Amazon picks Grand Rapids and is going to put this uh, I think it was some $50 billion investment in this city and in this place. And imagine for the sake of our hypothetical situation that you currently uh, are working at Toys R Us. And imagine that uh, a recruiter from Amazon comes into Toys R Us and purposely comes and finds you and offers you a job and recruits you to come work at this new corporate headquarters that Amazon's building here in Grand Rapids. The question I have is, what would go through your mind at that point when that recruiter is standing there saying, we want you to come work for us at Amazon? Would you be flattered? Yeah, perhaps. Would you think to yourself, Amazon, that's probably the premier retail corporation in the world today? Would you think to yourself, Toys R Us has just declared bankruptcy, <laughs> and Amazon's prospects are, seems to be no limit? Might you think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't know about that, I'm, I'm, I'm safe here comfortable here. I know this job. What if I'm not cut out for Amazon? What if they ask too much of me? What if I don't have the skills that are necessary? Might you want to talk to someone who's worked at Amazon to kind of find out, well, what are the working conditions like? What is this like to work there? Last week, we shared the gospel and said that the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has drawn near. It's come close to us. 
if you're willing to allow the analogy, and of course every analogy is imperfect, but if you're willing to allow the, allow the analogy, that's sort of like saying Amazon is moving to Grand Rapids. The kingdom of God is coming near. It's drawing close. And if you're willing to allow that analogy, what we were saying last week is God's rule and reign is drawing near to us. What I'm saying this week is the kingdom of God is hiring. And I have been authorized by Jesus to recruit you to come work for him. So, I'd like you to understand the offer that's being made today. So please take a Bible, if you will, and open it to the book of Mark, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the rack in front of you. It'll look like this. And you just turn in these Bibles to page 812, and you'll be in Mark, chapter 1. Now let me tell you as we're turning, I'm using the analogy of going to work, of being recruited for a job, of going to take a new position at a big company, but please don't miss the fact that we could also have used the analogy of thinking through transferring from one college to another college, or thinking about leaving a group of friends that you're a part of to go and be a part of a different group of friends, or thinking about getting out of an unhealthy relationship to get into a healthy relationship. We're talking about jobs simply as a metaphor or an example because in the passage we're about to look at, it's jobs that are being used for the discussion. But when I say the kingdom of God is hiring and you're being offered a job, it's a metaphor to think about an invitation from Jesus to come be part of what he's doing. The kingdom of God has drawn near. And what I've been authorized to do today, in a really powerful way this week as I prayed about this, I felt like God was saying, go tell them this message, and it's from me to them. And so here's the message. We're going to read it in verses 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, this is a story about four people, Simon, who we know probably better as Peter. He has two names, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But the thing I want us to know today is, is that when I'm saying that God has commissioned me to make an offer to you, what I'm saying is, is as we read these verses, Jesus is today speaking to you and to me that he has an invitation that he wants us to hear. We're not here simply for a history lesson. Peter, Andrew, James, and John 2,000 years ago received an invitation to go work for the kingdom of God. They responded 2,000 years ago. Today, we're not here for a history lesson. We're here because the God of the universe whose kingdom has drawn near to us in 2017 
is inviting you and I today in the same way he invited them. So I want you to listen carefully as we talk for the Spirit of God to speak to your heart to give you the invitation that Jesus himself is offering to you today. Does that make sense? Okay, well let's begin with the invitation. The invitation is, come, follow me. The same invitation was given to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, but that's the invitation that God is making to you and I today, right here, right now. Come, follow me, Jesus says. A couple things about this invitation. First, Jesus is the one who takes the initiative to make the invitation. In our example, it's the Amazon recruiter who comes to Toys R Us to offer you the job. It's not you filling out an application to get a new job at Amazon. It's the recruiter coming to see you. And more than that, we're really talking about Jesus here. So it's like Jeff Bezos, who's the CEO of Amazon, walking into Toys R Us and saying, come work for me. You're not here this morning because you're applying for a job in the kingdom of heaven. You're here this morning because Jesus is taking the initiative to invite you to come closer to him. You may have thought, well, I came to church this morning because I don't know why. Maybe it felt random. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you feel like, you know, there was just something in my life that compelled me to come this morning. I'm here to tell you that all week long as I prayed about this, God said, I'm bringing them there on Sunday morning because I want to hear them, hear, I want them to hear me inviting them to come follow me. Jesus is taking the initiative. He has come to where you are in the life you are living, and he is today inviting you in your life to come follow him. You're not applying to follow him. He's inviting you to follow him. The second thing about this invitation is Jesus says, come follow me. Now, we are using the metaphor of going to work for a company all metaphors are incomplete. I don't want you to take out of this that the invitation is Jesus is inviting you to come be a pastor, like you're going to go work for him somehow, or be a missionary. You may end up, God may call you to be a pastor, God may call you to be a missionary. That's wonderful. He may use this passage to do that, but that's not what this invitation is. This is not an invitation of Jesus saying, come work for me. He's saying, come follow me. We're using the metaphor of a new job, but we're talking about something much bigger. We're talking about spending time with Jesus. And what Jesus is doing today, the invitation, is for you and I, every single one of us, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our jobs, in our family, in our community, the invitation is to draw closer to Jesus and to walk with him on the journey that he has for us. It's not literally about switching jobs. It's about the fact that whatever job you happen to be in, whatever family you happen to be in, whatever school you happen to be attending, whatever community you happen to live in, 
whatever situation of life you are in, today, Jesus is inviting you to come with him to draw closer to him. Now, as I was praying through this passage, the Lord reminded me of a song from a long time ago, about 25 years ago, that God used to help me realize what exactly Jesus was inviting me to do. And it came in a time long before I was a pastor. It came in a time in which I was struggling with what we would call complacent Christianity, where I was just simply going through the motions. And I always felt like there had to be something more, that I was missing something. That when I opened up the scriptures and I read about people in there, it just looked different than my life. And it was a song that God used some 25 years ago to help me to understand what exactly this invitation was. I'd like to play a little bit of that song for you. Those who are older may remember the song. Those who are younger, I hope you enjoy it. The lyrics are on the screen. Please read the lyrics because, well, at least for me, they really made sense of what this invitation was. Started out this morning in the usual way, chasing thoughts inside my head of all I had to do today. Another time around the circle, try to make it better than the last. I opened up the Bible and I read about me. Said I'd been a prisoner and God's grace had set me free. Somewhere between the pages, it hit me like a lightning bolt. I saw a big frontier in front of me and I heard somebody say, let's go. Saddle up your horses, we've got a trail to blaze. Through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. Let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is a life like no other. Whoa, oh, this is the great adventure. (laughs) That song is by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And probably the reason the Lord brought that to mind is that earlier this year, on the recommendation of my wife and others, I read his autobiography. It was just published in 2017. And perhaps the reason I resonated so much with that autobiography is the song, The Great Adventure, came out in the early 90s, and I was a college student living a sort of complacent Christian life, still trying to decide between the way the world was living their life and the way Jesus was calling people to live our lives. And I remember hearing that song and thinking, you know, that sounds fun, that sounds exciting, it sounds like a great adventure. That's what Jesus is calling us on is a great adventure. But the amazing thing about reading this autobiography is here some 25 years later, Stephen Curtis Chapman was telling the story about his life and about how he did go with God on this great adventure uh, and that the mountains were fantastically high and the valleys were really low. And he talked about in that story about how the fact that he went through some really hard marriage struggles and that his marriage hadn't turned out the way he thought it was going to turn out He talked about how the fact that he lost a child in a car accident. And there was a point in the book where he began to wonder if he could ever sing that song you just heard again. Because it was filled with energy and excitement and he just didn't feel that anymore. But probably the reason why the book was so moving for me is that here 25 years later when you get to the end of this phase of the story, he was still affirming it's the greatest adventure of life that God had been with him every step of the way. And I felt like he put into words exactly what I want to tell you today is that, yes, 25 years ago, God used that song to tell me, look, there is more. 
There's an invitation, come with me. Life doesn't have to be full of complacent, compromised Christian life. You don't always have to feel this constant pull to why am I not actually walking closely with Jesus? And yes, the mountains are high and the valleys are low, but when you get there 25 years later after all the difficulty and after all the trouble, I still want to affirm it's the greatest call in the world. That's what Jesus is offering to you. Come follow me. It's not really about a job. It's about an adventure. It's about a journey. It's about a life. And what Jesus is saying is, come with me. Come with me on the life. And the offer is, I will walk with you every step of the way. I will be there when your children die. I will be there when your marriage doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. I will be there when you are diagnosed with cancer. I will be there and I will be close to you every step of the way. That's the offer he's making today. And Jesus says, come. Follow me on this adventure. Follow me on this journey. Along with the offer, there's also a promise. Verse 17, Jesus not only says, come follow me. He says, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now literally in Greek, you could translate this. I will make you into a fisher of men or a fisher of people. This promise is important because if you've ever been offered a new job or you've ever had someone come and recruit you to work at a new company or a new place, it can be flattering, but it can also be frightening. You can think to yourself, do I really have what it takes to go work at that company? Maybe you've been working at Toys R Us for all these years and you think, well, yeah, Amazon's a great corporation, but do I have what it takes to work there? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not able Well, the truth of the matter is, the invitation, come follow me, can also be frightening. What if I get into a situation and I don't have enough faith? What if Jesus asks me to do something and I'm not competent to be able to do it? Whatever life I'm in right now, as compromised as it might be, at least I know it, at least it's familiar, at least I can sort of manage my way through it. And one of the fears is, is if I go with Jesus on this journey, I may find myself in a place that I'm simply not competent to get myself through. I know that feeling. One of the reasons why I would have, and did, resist this call for a long time is because I knew at some point, if I was going to follow Jesus, I mean really follow Jesus, he was going to ask me to tell other people about him. And I thought to myself, I'm a terrible evangelist. I've said that before from up here. What I mean by that is that I look at myself and I think, well, I don't have a very good testimony. I hear other people share their story about how they came to faith, and I think, well, yeah, if I had that story, I'd tell everybody. I tell people my story, and they're like, and... I'm not gifted for evangelism. I see people with the gift of evangelism and I think, man, that's awesome. I'm like, I don't have that gift. Worse yet, if I was going to be honest with you, I didn't even have a heart for the lost. (laughs) To be honest, I was scared that if I told anybody about Jesus and they they didn't listen, it would feel that it was a rejection of me. And then I thought to myself, well, what if they do listen? What do I do then? I wouldn't know what to do with them if they came to faith. And so, to be honest, I simply designed for myself a life 
that allowed me to kind of do the things in Christianity. Because I was a Christian. We're not talking about not being a Christian. I was a believer in Jesus, but I designed for myself a life that allowed me to sort of teach and encourage people who were struggling in their Christian life because those were the things that I was good at. And one day, I remember it very specifically because it happened in this room and it happened in that row. And I remember very specifically the exact date that it happened. I remember the Holy Spirit in my soul in a way that you can't really describe to anybody else. I just felt this conviction as I sat in the same seats you're sitting in. And I remember God saying, don't you care that there are people in this room and people in this city who don't know Jesus and are dying and going to hell? And I thought, well, I'm not an evangelist. And so I gave God all the excuses that I had practiced for so long. God, I'm not gifted to do that. God, you didn't give me a very good testimony. God, yes, it's true. My heart doesn't really break for the lost. I don't know what to say. And it was this passage and these words (laughs) that Jesus spoke to my soul. He says, I will make you a fisher of people. And it hit me like a lightning bolt. Jesus said, I will do it. I'm responsible for transforming you. And I can't even tell you how freeing that promise was. I can't even tell you. For all my life, I tried to talk myself into being evangelist. I tried to emotionally make myself and my heart broken for people who were lost. I tried to think of how I could make my testimony sexier so people would be interested in doing it. And at the end, you just couldn't pull it off. And Jesus says, I'm going to be the one that does it. This is the promise that was so freeing and so incredible. Jesus says, look, I will make you a fit. All you have to do is be willing. All you have to do is let me do the work. It's my job. I know how to train people. Do you really think Peter and Andrew and James and John were evangelists when I met them? No, Lord, of course they weren't. I turned them into that. I did it, and I'll do it with you too. And I remember thinking, so all you're saying is I have to just say yes? You just have to be willing. And I said, okay, on that day, Lord, I'm ready. Whatever you need to do. Last week, so that happened multiple years ago. Last week, I looked forward all week to the fact that on Sunday morning, I got to preach Mark 1, 14 to 15, and I got to tell people about Jesus. And I went home last Sunday because three people came to faith in the service last week. Absolutely overjoyed. And I heard Jesus say, told you so. Look, this is the greatest promise. There are no prior qualifications necessary to accept this invitation. There are no skills There are no gifts. There are no experiences. It's an invitation that comes with a promise. Whatever you're going to need on this journey, Jesus himself will provide. He will give you the faith you need to quit your job, to be able to follow him. He will give you the words to say when people are picking on you. He will give you a word of encouragement when you get bad news. Whatever it is, if you need to become an evangelist, he will make you into a fisher of people. All you and I have to do is say, okay, I'm in. That's the great thing about this invitation. Jesus says, 
Come follow me. And I will train you to do whatever you need to do. It's like a company that shows up and says, here's the job. And you're like, that feels a, a, few, a few levels above my pay grade. And the company says, don't worry. We're going to train you everything you need to be successful at this job. It's on us. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, just come, come work with me. I will give you everything that you need. So the invitation is come follow me. The promise is I will transform you. I will qualify you. I will gift you. I will make you into a fisher of people. But finally I want you to see that there is a cost involved. Verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. What are some of the costs involved in accepting this invitation? Well, if you're currently working at Toys R Us and Amazon comes to offer you a job, you have to quit the job at Toys R Us. There is a cost involved. It may not be a great job. You may not love the job, but you know the job. You're comfortable at the job. You're somewhat confident about the job. There is a cost involved if someone comes and offers you a new job. What are some of the costs involved here? Well, Peter and Andrew... They own their own company. They left their nets. They own the nets. It's their fishing boat. And what they're being asked to give up is some level of their independence. If you work for yourself or you own your own company, you know you get to set your own hours. You get to decide what projects you're going to work on and what you're not going to work on. I'm not saying it's not stressful. I'm not saying it's not difficult. But there's a level of independence. There's a level of I'm in charge. Jesus is asking them to come work for him. Listen, he's not offering to take a job on their fishing boat. He's inviting them to come be with him, and they're going to have to give up some level of their independence. They're going to have to go work for Jesus. And if you've never owned your own company or never been self-employed and then had to go to work for somebody else, that's a sacrifice. That's difficult. There's a cost involved. Verse 20, when he asks James and John, Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Now, here with James and John, they're in a family business. These two boys work for their dad. I got to imagine, yes, of course, there's struggles and stresses, but I'm sure that dad loves the fact that he gets to work with his two boys. And I bet they were a lot closer father and sons than in perhaps some other relationships where maybe boys don't work for their dad. James and John have to leave their father. One of the costs for accepting this invitation is sometimes we're asked to leave biological family behind. Because either they haven't heard or responded to this invitation, or when they went to work for Jesus, he assigned them to go to that area, and he assigned us to go to this area. But James and John need to leave their father behind in order to follow Jesus in this deeper way. That's a potential cost. There's another cost. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. That's a clue. James, John, and Zebedee are actually pretty wealthy. Peter and Andrew, they've just got their own boat. They're that small business. They're struggling to make it, but they're making it. James, John, and Zebedee, they got people working for them. This business is going decently well, which means 
James and John are relatively wealthy. They're upper middle class. They're not so much worried about are we going to catch enough fish to be able to feed ourselves because they've got people under them that they're catching enough fish to be able to take care of them too. And with James and John, they're not being promised a paycheck. They're not being promised comfortable living. They're being asked by Jesus, are you willing to leave that nice, comfortable, upper middle class life where you know where your paycheck is going to come from and you're able to provide for people who are working for you when if there is a downturn, they get laid off first before you do? Are you willing to leave that comfort and come follow me? And sometimes there is a cost to leave behind the wealth and the comfort of the life we're in. Jesus is not promising us a wealth-filled life. He says, come follow me, and there's a cost. There's one more cost that's not mentioned in this passage, at least explicitly. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Well, James, he's the second martyr in Christianity after Stephen, meaning he has to give up his life because Herod is persecuting the church and picks out James to have him killed. We're told that in the book of Acts. Peter, we also believe, was asked to give up his life for Jesus. He too was a martyr for his faith. We don't know about Andrew. Don't know what ultimately happened to John. But the cost here did involve their lives. There is a cost to following Jesus. But I'd like you to consider the words of a 19-year-old from Wheaton College in the 1949, a man named Jim Elliott, who said these words when thinking about the cost of following Jesus. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, he wrote those words in his journal six years before he himself gave his life at 25 for following the call. But look at Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What did they give up that they had any hope of keeping? And what did they get back in return? Peter, Andrew, James, and John got to spend time with Jesus in a way that other humans hadn't been had the opportunity. They were part of the 12 disciples who were with him constantly while he was on this earth. They saw things that all of human history was jealous and would have liked to have seen. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen some of these things? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when Jesus raised people from the dead? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when he fed 5,000 people? Wouldn't you like to have been there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was glorified in their midst and they got to see the coming of the kingdom? More than that, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they became fishers of men. They actually led thousands and thousands of people to faith. They themselves raised people from the dead. They themselves had the Spirit come upon them in such powerful ways that they were able to share the gospel, to perform miracles, to heal people, to speak the word boldly. They were able to endure persecution. They literally changed the universe for eternity. And these four men, along with eight others, became pillars in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. Jesus says, you will sit judging the 12 tribes of Israel for the kingdom. That can't possibly compare to what they gave up. Look what they got in return. And that's the question for you and I today. Look around the world. Look around your life. What is it you're holding on to that you think you're going to be able to keep? 
What is it about your job or your life or your family or this country or your financial situation that if you give that up for Jesus, he won't give you back so much more? Listen, I guarantee you that if Peter, Andrew, James, and John were here and said, was it worth it? Was it worth the cost? They would say, are you kidding? Do you see where we are for eternity? Do you see? What other fishermen from, the two, from that year are you reading about today? Who else's life has mattered like this? And the point is, that's the invitation for you and for me. Jesus says, let it go. Come follow me. You can't hold on to it anyway. Yes, there is a cost. Jesus is not promising a life without suffering. But he says, count the cost. Look what you get back in return. You get back the eternal Son of God, in your life for all of eternity, providing love, joy, peace, power, assurance, protection. You get a life in which your labors in the Lord are not in vain. You get the opportunity for him to transform you into being an evangelist, into seeing people come to faith. You get to see Jesus work his miraculous power in and through you to do things that are jaw-dropping today. That's the offer. So what do we do with this? Well, when I prayed about this this week, Jesus said, I'm making them this offer. Give them the chance to respond. So what we're going to do is in just a minute, we're going to have a few songs that we're going to listen to and sing along with. It's about 10, 15 minutes or so during that time. If Jesus is calling to you today, I want you to come out of your seat, come forward, kneel at the steps, and respond to the call. These four men did something physically to indicate that they wanted to follow Jesus. You say, well, what do I do once I get down here? I don't know. But your act of coming here is telling Jesus, I've heard the call and I'm accepting. It's then on him to start the training program, to assign you your assignment, to walk with you. That's on him. It's not on you. You don't come down here and say, okay, I'm ready to do this, 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 and this. You're coming to say, you know what? I'm tired of this complacent life. You know what? I'm tired of this half in the world, half in the kingdom life. Perhaps you've been here and you've been hearing Jesus calling you to something deeper. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You may have been a Christian for five days. You may have been a Christian for 50 years. If this week or this month or this year, Jesus has been prompting your heart saying, look, there's more. Come with me. This is an invitation for you this morning to respond and to come. Today, he is making this offer. Today, Jesus is saying, come follow me. And if you hear the Spirit in your heart saying, that's you, I'm calling you, then you respond by getting up, coming forward, kneeling here, and in that act, you're saying to Jesus, I'm in. The rest is up to you. When you're done, you can return to your seat. After about 10 minutes or so, I'll get up here. Two songs I think we have. Uh, and lead us in prayer. So as the Spirit leads.